0: Hey everyone and welcome to Season 8 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. My name is John and I'll be your guest host for this season while we talk with millennial pastors who are committed to serving their church, their denomination, and more. In a study done by Research Services and Church of the Nazarene Global Ministry Center comparing lead pastors within their denomination from 2000 uh, to 2019, some interesting trends were revealed. The primary age for lead pastors within the Church of the Nazarene in 2000 was 35 to 54. In 2019, we see a shift of those exact pastors simply getting older and no new young leaders emerging. We're not here to lament what has happened, but to celebrate those who have stayed and begin to explore why they stayed and perhaps how we can encourage and create new opportunities for others to remain as well. What well, we're gonna hear from these pastors, hear their stories, hear from people who have spoken into their lives and celebrate the choice that they made to stay within the denominational walls. I'm sure they're like me and have seen many of their friends and colleagues leave, but perhaps even contemplated leaving as well. But alas, here we are. And I know without a doubt the church is better because they have remained. Today we get to speak to a pastor or a couple pastors who are not a part of the Church of the Nazarene. And I love that. I met them when I was serving in Snoqualmie in Washington. Uh, they they serve at a church in Fall City, which is just a neighboring town. In uh, their name, we got Pastor Bailey and and Pastor Marty. You guys want to say hello? Hi there, hello. Hi guys, how are we doing? Uh, they, so they serve at Snoqualmie Valley Alliance. Um, uh, they call it SVA, is is what they're known by. Uh, yeah. Again, as I was serving in the Valley, I got, I got to know both of them. Um, uh, as I was thinking about that, I got to know you and your church more than many other churches. I uh, helped teach at the at the Bible college there on campus. And I think I actually still have a key from your facility. Uh, so if I ever <laughs> want to, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah um, Bailey and I served on a couple boards together and um, helped do some cool missional things there in the Valley and all sorts of stuff. But I'm, I'm excited for you guys to share kind of your journey and story. Um, uh, especially you, Bailey, as you um, kind of rose through the ranks and um, and that stuff. But Bailey, why don't you just why don't you start? Why don't you tell us who you are um, and how you got where you are now, being the lead pastor of SVA?
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, John, and thanks for having us on the podcast. Always happy to share our story and uh, talk about uh, God's faithfulness just yeah. through the congregation and in the valley. And um, I, you know, appreciated the time we got to spend together in the valley and have you here. Yeah. It was. A loss for us to let you go. <laughs> Glad you're still doing this and, and doing ministry elsewhere as well. But yeah, my story. Um, so I'm a generation in this community. Uh, my great great grandfather moved here and worked for a warehouseer, um, and my family has stayed in specifically North Bend of the Snoqualmie Valley um, since then. And so I was born and raised uh, my entire life, and went to the same schools and community places as my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and so the legacy of uh, (laughs) that uh, runs ahead of me which uh, sets the phone for my whole story um, and my whole life and deep valley roots here in the community and uh, personally I'm the youngest of four boys in my immediate family Um, and growing up here in the community was a lot of fun a lot of connection I come from a long family of educators in the community. And so my my grandpa was principal and teachers and aunts and uncles. My brothers are teachers today. And um, so interconnected into the community in a lot of ways. Um, I always say raised, though, I was uh, raised in a culturally Christian home uh we were the the classic priesters, Christmas and Easter mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and <laughs> when we did attend church uh, as a family, it was always here at s v a mm. um and so s v a was a part of some key moments of history in my kind of immediate family, but then my extended family as well my grandma, my aunts and uncles have been a part of this church my life as well served in worship teams, been a part of children's ministry. The funniest connection is my great-grandma was the very first baptism of SVA Church mm-hmm. in wow. 1999. Mm-hmm. And so the the connections of SVA and, and my family run deep over the yep. years. Uh, and there was a pivotal moment in, in my life that uh, a lot of things changed. When I was 12 years old in seventh grade of middle school, um, one of my older brothers um, died by suicide, uh, who was 16 at the time. And uh, as I said, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a strong faith. I didn't really have any faith or relationship with God at that point. Um, I remember though, in his hospital room in that time that we had, uh, where there was a chance that that he could Mm -hmm. make it through um, his self-inflicted harm. And uh, I I prayed my first prayer sitting Mm -hmm. on that hospital floor bed um, and asked God to heal my brother and to allow him to survive. And when that didn't happen, Um, as that often goes, is I walked away from any sort of sense of that God could be real, is real, um, this thing is a sham. Um, Though I do remember in the hospital that week, um, Pastor Monty, who was the founding and lead pastor here at SVA, and Pastor Marty, we got the two Ms, Monty and Marty, (laughs) um, both of them were present at the hospital Mm. with me and my family during that time and showed up. And worked not only with us, but with the entire community that showed up there at the hospital. Um, and I remember a stairwell conversation with Pastor Monty where he took some yells and screams from a little 12-year-old boy who was angry at the world and angry at God. And uh, he stood there and was just a presence and offered compassion and grace. And, you know, that then the trajectory of my life and my family from that point, obviously was night and day different. And yeah. in a lot of my family crumbled in a lot of different directions. And as my older brothers kind of headed off to their next seasons of life, I was still stuck in middle school and, and within my home with my parents and trying to navigate all of our grief and try and make him through and sense of uh, of things. And uh, I, I look back at those kind of three, four years immediately after my brother passed away as my wayward years of sorts of trying anything and everything to numb something or or be known by anything other than the little brother of somebody who took their life. And so threw myself into school and academics, athletics, relationships, um, prestige and and, and trying to be known by anything else, right? I wanted to put that piece of my life and my story uh to the side and and show the world that I was I was something different. And so I um, worked really hard and had big plans for my life to uh, become a doctor. Mm. I, you know, it was kind of like I threw a dart at a board of what's the most prestigious career I could even think of okay. a, a teen, as a teenager. And of course, it's a doctor. And so right. I'm going to become a doctor. And uh, that was the identity and status that I was moving towards and the direction I'd already set for my life and um, was going to work work towards that. Uh, It wasn't until uh, I was 16, a sophomore at high school, and I had a friend um, that had been a best friend of mine for years, and he invited me to go to a Young Life camp, a summer camp. Um, And I had no idea what Young Life was, but he showed me a little 30-second promo video of jet skis and um, beach volleyball with girls and, and all the things. and look like fun. And so, I up, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he said, he's going. And I was like, sure, I'll go too, you know. And, uh, little did I know that week would change the trajectory of my life. And, um, it wasn't until that camp experience where, um, I was away from home, away from the reality of life. And, uh, I had a volunteer leader, his name was Josh, and he took me out into a, a <laughs> rowboat in the ocean. Literally, we were sitting in a rowboat, just he and I. And they said, hey, Bailey, you know, I know a little bit of your story and I've heard about your family. Um, How are you doing? Mm. I can only imagine what the last couple of years has held for you. And it was the perfect timing. This Mm. individual didn't really know me and my story. And um, for the first time, the floodgates opened and story came out and anger came out and frustration came out and. Rowboat. I I always look back at that moment specifically as one of the first moments. I you know didn't have the language then to understand, but understood and sensed the the presence and the compassion of God mm. um in a way that my soul had been longing for 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 years in yeah. this yeah. immense captivity of grief that I'd been experiencing. And so, Josh was there to be a presence and also to be compassionate, and then in the same breath to point me towards Jesus and Whoa. to say. Um, that there, there is someone who is known as hope and compassion and comfort and joy, and uh, began to ask him real tough questions that I don't know he, as a volunteer youth leader, was right. <laughs> expecting from a 16 year old at the time about the issue of pain and where is God when it hurts and why did God mm-hmm. allow for these bad things to happen. And um, we went there that first week and it uh, ended the last day of camp. I stood up and um remember when the mic was passed to me at the the say so of the end of the camp week and grabbed the mic and i said my name is bailey i'm from the suqualmie valley and i'm ready to run into my father's arms Mm -hmm. and i passed the mic and i was like i don't even know what i just said or why i said that (laughs) Ah. or what that means (laughs) where that came from but there was there was a change that that took place that week and um you know i always say that I didn't know anything about who Jesus was, or what a relationship with him looked like, but I knew that different and I knew my life was headed in one direction. And it was as if that week God opened my eyes to see the, the pathway that I'd placed for my life was not a pathway of hope, um, not a path of, of true life, that the brokenness right. and turmoil I was shoving down deeper and deeper was still there, no matter the prestige I had begun to plan for my life. And that that God was calling me to a relationship with him and to give him a chance. And so I came back from uh summer camp and it was in a way vastly different, but in a way a, a kind of Paul experience of the scales right. off of eyes and immediately heart change, life change, lost motivation for the direction I was headed. Certain friends I was hanging out with, the girlfriend I had at the time, you know, kind of the classic uh, camp after experience where it was, my life is different and changed. And I don't know what that means, but um, I I, want to give God a chance. And so um, I started going to a youth group, another church here in the community with a youth pastor I was connected with and weekly Bible studies, weekly youth group. I met a a young pretty girl at Youth Group <laughs> who is now my wife. <laughs> yeah. I always say to kids, go to Youth Group, you'll find your your spouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It works. It works. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so then, you know, getting to call the ministry, right? What what's next for me and kind of the yeah. season of life after? Um you know, I uh was still kind of contemplating, okay. God took away the motivation to become a doctor and kind of revealed the ulterior motivations in my heart to go in in these routes and these directions. And then it was with my youth pastor. Well, now what? What does God want me to do with my life? And uh, he was there just to discern and pray. And uh, I said, OK, maybe I'll be a teacher and I'll, I'll work with students, love kids and and want to work with people. And. Uh, And then I I had a dream one night, a very vivid dream. Um, I was standing in front of a classroom of middle school age students. And I just remember that I wanted to speak about Jesus. And it was as if someone had put duct tape over my mouth and I, I, I couldn't. And I immediately the next day called Curtis, my youth pastor, and said, Kurt, I had this dream. I don't know what to do with it, but I think God wants me to speak about Jesus, talk about Jesus and um he said okay let's pray about it let's talk yeah. about it and um then like any student you know at the time uh, interested or sensing a call to ministry um started applying to private christian schools colleges and looking at pastoral ministry programs and looking at 100,000 plus dollars of debt yep. and uh yep. <laughs> and then headed into ministry and trying to figure that out yep. <laughs> And here's where the the story comes full circle, right? Uh, Pastors who were there for my family in immense tragedy, and immense sorrow. Um, I received a a Facebook message, Instagram or a Facebook IM message uh, from Pastor Monty. And he said, hey, Bailey, I know we haven't talked in five or six years, um, but we've heard that you're pursuing ministry and so excited for you. Um, we'd love to talk with you and share yeah. some things that we have. And so he called me in and I met with Marty and Monty. hadn't seen him in years. And I was 18 years old, just about to graduate. I think it was May of my senior year of high school, about to sign the, uh, offer letters from a couple of colleges and go to Colorado or go to Oregon and right. get out of town and get as far away from my hometown as I could. And, um, in that conversation, Monty and Marty shared about a a new Bible school that they were starting through SVA Church, um, and the entire mission was to graduate field-ready debt-free, um, and so in essence, it's a seminary ministry program where you can become a licensed pastor and get a degree, um, but do so without incurring the crazy amounts of debt, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. and
1: at the same time, have practical church experience yeah. while you're doing studies and so the whole model of the school is you cohort based work with your classmates and your professors but you're also working in ministry at the same time and so they offered me a place school uh, but then also offered me an internship here at Mm -hmm. sva and so um i walked out of that room (laughs) and i called my girlfriend who is now my wife (laughs) And I started crying and I was overwhelmed by just the opportunity and the offer and immediately sensed just God moving in the midst of it and um with my youth pastor. And I think, it, you know, it took about a month before I accepted the offer and um, my, uh, you know, just discernment. Uh, and I think in that time, God gave me a heart for this community mm-hmm. in a way that I hadn't really realized before. Right. I had just had my sights on getting out of here. And it, this community had still held the ties to this grief and tragedy and place for my family. And so um, uh, in that time, God gave me just a vision for for serving this community and loving this community and to use my voice to speak about Jesus and, and care for people uh, in this hometown. And uh, that was a difficult thing. to. That was probably the diff- most difficult piece of making the decision to stay here in this community and study. and uh, work towards ministry, yeah. uh, was giving up the college experience and the dorm life and all of the things. I, it was surrendering that and saying, I know God is, is calling me here to plant roots and, and dig here. And so, um, accepted that offer and began here at SVA as the family life intern underneath me. And, um, Right from the get go, he threw me in the deep end and (laughs) began to do uh, children's ministry. So my first kind of area of ministry was working with elementary school ministry on Sundays and working with students and families uh, and with Marty and uh, then beginning to work with youth ministry. So middle school and high school students and summer camp trips and canoe trips and retreats and and all of the things and chasing after students and kids and I had also at that time been working for Young Life. So I was on staff at Young Life as okay. well. And um, uh, working with them in middle school ministry, wildlife ministry. Um, and then uh, our church, we hadn't had a youth pastor for um, quite a couple years. And so as I was continuing in my degree program towards ministry and interning, already offered me the youth pastor position um, to fully step into the youth ministry here at SVA. And so I uh, began working with middle school and high school students and was the youth pastor for about four years um, after that, um, working here at the church full time um, and stepped away from young life and yeah. uh, was planting roots here. And and during that time, you know, I, I would say God called me to be youth pastor and work with students. And yet at the same time, there was a constant conversation about God's calling on my life in future seasons ministry, um, where Monty and Marty had begun intentionally discipling me and mentoring me into a leadership role in the church. And at that point, there was no plans anytime soon, or right. no direct. There was no dates or anything, but it was just conversation about what is God doing and gifting and calling and um Monty used to joke a little bit that I was his exit strategy, and right. <laughs> I right. think the congregation began oh, yeah. to see uh, began to see the writing on the wall uh, pretty pretty early as I began speaking more and just being more active publicly within services and was stepping into some leadership roles and conversations and um, so you know that gets us kind of into the season of youth pastor and. There was no date set or any plan for transition or of that, but um, they were getting right to 2020. And so um, about January 2020, um, Pastor Monty, who was our founding pastor, um, he began to meet with all of the staff, one-on-one. And I was in the office that day and kind of watched him meeting with all the staff and was like, something's happening. Something's happening, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something's going on. Something's Either someone's passed away or something bad happened. And- right. I remember he waited. I was the very last one that he met with and he had talked with everybody else. And then he brought me into his office and he said, I've been um, asked to step into a district superintendent position for our denomination. And so we're a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance um, and we're split up into dist- different districts. And the Alliance Northwest District is Washington, Oregon, Idaho. Um in a little bit of in Alaska. Alaska. Um, and so we have a district superintendent that oversees all of the Alliance churches in our district. And Monty was asked to consider becoming uh the district superintendent of uh of that district. And that was earlier than than I think he had thought he yeah. was going to step away for ministry here at SBA. He was planning maybe another five, six, seven years here. Um, but it was a Incredible opportunity. Yeah, that God kind of opened up for him to step into that role at this time, and so he had begun discerning that and working with the board of our district about moving that way. And it was it was pretty sure that it was going to happen and, and move in that way. And so then, obviously, the question is, what about SVA? <laughs> right. What about you? You and I were supposed to work together the next five six years, and we had planned you at some point we'll preach 50 50 and we'll develop all these things together. And I've never gone to a church board meeting before. (laughs) (laughs) It can't happen. No, not yet. You know? And uh, at that point I was, let's see, 2020, I was, uh 22 years old yeah
2: 22. and so um
1: still very young and yeah. still young today but yeah. <laughs> i was even younger then, and uh it was just very clear that mm-hmm. to do an immediate transition of me towards the lead role w- was not the right move at that time and here comes marty into the conversation oh boy <laughs> oh faithful marty yeah yeah <laughs> and then,
0: so i yes yeah, so let's maybe pause here i i i want to because uh, I want to get to know Marty a little bit, um, and because yeah, because like you said, he kind of steps into that and starts uh, being more actively involved, or I guess back actively involved with you in in that situation. So, so we'll we'll kind of backtrack a little bit, Marty. Why, why don't you give us a little context of who you are and and maybe your journey with SVA and Monty and 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 how Bailey entered into that and uh, yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah. So my background. Uh... Little different than Bailey's, but raised yeah. in the church, uh, raised in the Lutheran church, and in fact uh, went to youth group where I met my wife.
2: <laughs> oh, and, uh, I'm sensing yeah, a trend. Yeah,
3: <laughs> you know that's the trend that we passed on. That's part of the mentorship that we do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, raised in the church there, and then, um, you know, it was interesting listening to, to Bailey talk about his journey and some of the things that he came across and people that, um, you know, when Monty sat down with him and said, "I want to invest in you," and you know, I had that similar experience. And mm. when you talk about mentoring and passing leadership, it's like I was a a twenty two year old. I was a twenty year old. Yeah. Uh, you know, and fresh out of high school at eighteen, and going, what do I do? And I had a I had a youth pastor that invested in me, <clears throat> that you know said, uh, you can be a great drummer. You know, and he got me involved yeah. in music. He took me at you know at eighteen. He took me to Nashville, hmm. where I got work with, you know, some of the top Christian artists at that time. And it just gave me this value and like, wow, at 18, I can actually, you know, look at doing something. And so that investment side was huge. And uh, so coming back from that and doing Bible college, that's where I met Monty Mm -hmm. and another individual and the three of us uh, went after our first year of Bible college, we figured at that point, we knew everything. Mm -hmm. And so we were ready to go, you know, of course, we were ready to go and be pastors. And we didn't, you know, our our mentality was at that time, we just didn't have time for, you know, seminary and all these different things that at that time the Lutheran Church required And Mm -hmm. as we met with them. And so um, we really began praying about it and met with uh, Chris, who was with us, was a pastor, youth pastor with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Mm -hmm. And so we met with their district here. And sat down, and I remember the leadership of them, which is now Monty's position. Yeah. Uh, but the leadership back then sat down with us and said, "You guys are young men with the with the dreams, and we are the old guys with the experience. Let's do this together and to make mm. this happen." That's cool. And we planted our first church um, mm. in 1990 uh, down in Issaquah. and uh, it was it was just it was a blast. Mm. I, I, it was such a great season and fun doing ministry and. And at that age and having older individuals, you know, these guys were all suit and ties, you know, and we were just casual and, right. you know, here's it the world kind of thing. And yet they believed in us and trusted us and uh, invested in us. And yeah. so that would, you know, I had that modeling um, in my ministry life from day one. And so we did the church in Issaquah. I left that church in 98 when we adopted our first son. Then hmm. I became a stay-at-home dad, yeah. and uh, shortly after doing that, um, I was working remotely at a church in Napa, Idaho, doing children's ministry and just kind of consulting with some churches over there in regards to family ministries. And I received a call from Monty and said, "Hey, I think I'm going to plant a church in the Snoqualmie Valley. You want to do it with me?" Hmm. And I just received an offer from from the church in Napa to move over there in full-time ministry and And, uh, you know, young family with a new baby. And so talked about it, prayed about it with my wife. And we said, you know what? You know, love money. Love, you know, what we did previously. Let's do it again. Yeah. So we stayed here in the Valley. And uh, in November of 99, we planted um, SVA. And, uh, you know, like Bailey said, our first baptism was his great-grandmother. Yeah. It was just amazing. You know, you talk about the generational things in a church. It's just crazy that that's how we started. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and so yeah, the church grew rapidly, and my first role really, you know, in church planning, you kind of become the jack of all trades. Yep. when you're when you're the second seat, you know, Monty was just incredible preacher teacher, so he had that covered, and so just the executive pastor side of things, or the business side of church, working with that, and in it, especially a church that was growing so rapidly right keeping up with that and uh so did that for nearly 20 years right well, about 20 years yeah and just watched the church grow and change moving to facility remodel facility building programs building yep. campaigns everything yep and uh and then you get to the point you know at 54 55 years old going you know i don't have that Energy at it as a twenty-four-year-old church planner. Yeah, what does it look like next? And you know, so Monty and I did start having those conversations. What does this next season look like? And and I remember, you know, my son graduated with Bailey, hmm. and uh, I remember sitting down with Monty then and, and going, "Hey, you know, Bailey's here's this kid. What do we do?" And and, and uh, we had those conversations of you know, because both Monty and I were in that situation in our early twenties. Someone invested in us, and so we're like, let Let's do this. Let's see if he'll jump on board. And uh, and when we, when we put that out there, you know, he he jumped on board. I remember having conversations <laughs> with his parents going, don't worry. We got it. We'll take care of this. Yeah,
2: yeah <laughs> so, sure. You know, they
3: want the knowledge. you know, as any parent, you know. Yeah. So if you want your, your child handed off to someone that you trust and mm-hmm. where they're to be taken care of and gain the degree or knowledge or whatever you're, you know, you want to accomplish Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we had those conversations and, you know, the plan was to invest over the next, you know, five to seven years. That's what, and it was, it was kind of our exit strategy. And, but it it really started in recognizing that, you know, that's, we just don't have a lot of the same energy um, reach capabilities at our age that, that a young pastor could have in a community understanding of culture. Um, those sure. kinds of things, you know, that we can talk about, but you know, it's it's a different voice. Yeah, you know, someone yeah. older is talking about today's culture, and so how do we, how do we gracefully hand that off? So we had a we had a great plan <laughs> that was that was set up for <laughs> it going to be five great. to seven year and mentoring, and this is what it looked like, and I was going to do this, and Bonnie was going to do this, and we were going to rotate with preaching to, you know, at this many times. I mean, it right. was. It was laid out extremely well. And I think God kind of chuckled at that. Yeah, and so, of course, you know, things, but when went and, uh, Monty was asked to step in the position he was. And so at that point is when we really shifted to go, OK, what does this look like from here? And how do we how do we gracefully move forward um, with this transition plan, knowing that, you know, at the time? Um, Bailey, you're, how old were you? you? Were twenty three at the time? It's twenty, right 20, in the beginning of twenty, F twenty
1: twenty? Twenty twenty. I was 22. You were twenty two. Yeah. yeah.
3: So yeah. And I remember it's so funny. I remember sitting with Bailey as we talked about you know what this looks like moving forward. Money's yeah. gone, and and just the conversation of titles,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and here's, you know Bailey, I could you know we had these conversations where Bailey had this lead pastor. Vision in his mind. I got this. I can do this, and we knew he could. Yeah, twenty-two. You know, and it's interesting. You know, as he was telling his story, I'm thinking back of those conversations, of <laughs> Bailey going, "Well, if if I want to be lead, you got to call me lead." You got, you know, da, 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 and going, "Whoa, skip, let's little let's spinny." Here we go. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nan and I had the conversation. Bailey doesn't know this, but we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago where we were watching online, and Bailey got up front. He was he was getting ready to preach, and and uh, he said introduced himself as Bailey. I'm one of the pastors here at SVA. And just that short period of a couple years of of really seeing um, really what it's about. Yeah. It's not about title. It's about the calling. Yeah. And watching him embrace that over the last two years um, has been, has been amazing. And, you know, I can say, you didn't know this, but just a couple weeks ago, our conversation was that, you know, that standing up and going, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh versus the idea of, holy cow, I need, like you said, I need right. to be known by something other
2: yeah, and this kid, yeah.
3: you know, yeah. and the 22 year old, I need to be something, known something more than just a young pastor, you know? So how do we, you know, how do we do that over the next two years of, of bringing Bailey in? How do you? mentor him to help him feel like he's more than just a kid. He's right. called to this and he's a lead pastor and he can do this not because of not because of a title or any education necessarily that he's had because he's but because he's called to this and we see the giftedness that is there that that uh is needed for this
0: position. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's <clears throat> and I think that's a big part of when we think about the church ahead of a lot of young a lot of young people have rebelled against authority, right? And we, that's one of the trends we see, um, just in a postmodern age and so on. And, and even from a pastor perspective of the world culture, especially in Seattle, is, is weary of entitled pastors, right? Of we've seen a lot of entitled pastors grow and blow up and, and the havoc of all of that, right? Um, and, and so, yeah, understanding, this position and, and how Bailey was able to come to that. We have these perceptions of, well, I've got to have that title so people will listen to me, or whatever it is, of rather saying, as you said, following the calling. It's beautiful. I love that. I love that. So so you guys entered into this season of transition, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I so I, I stepped into my first lead pastor at 23, so I was very similar to you as Bailey, oh, yeah, in that same know, situation know. of knowing. I'm only 23. Like, what am I doing? Um, But but that that was a transition process. So let let's maybe talk about that, Bailey, of how you of how that started for you, what that looked like, because it was it was a extended process before you fully came into really sure. being the the lead guy um, or one one of the pastors. Uh,
1: <laughs> there you go. In yeah. That way. yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yes, it was definitely a process. And so, like Marty said, those conversations are early on. Yeah. It's it's funny to hear from his perspective of, of those, right? Because I yeah. I too look back at that and I'm like, oh man, if I would have gotten what I thought I wanted then, <laughs> yeah,
2: that's good. It could have been real
1: bad, <laughs> you know. And so there was great wisdom that that Marty and the team had um, for me, over me, especially at that time.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but what we did do immediately in the transition once he kind of moved, I'll throw it into the mix as well. Um, twenty twenty COVID hits oh, yeah, March. Right. And so yeah. pretty much almost within a span of a couple of weeks, Monty announced that he was leaving and then we went all online. Yeah. So we had not only a <laughs> founding pastor transitioning, but unprecedented church times of how we're going to handle this. What are we going to do? Here? Yeah.
0: What could go wrong? Right. What could
1: yeah. go wrong? <laughs> no. Right. And the 22 year old thinking that he should
0: be the lead. He's the lead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. And so,
1: what we did do at that point was uh we formed what we called the executive team that's still yeah. in effect yeah. today. And what that is is a plurality of leaders that together function as a lead pastor. Yeah. And yeah. there was a lot of conversation, right, around why we're doing this. And some of it was out of necessity, right? We're not yeah. ready. There isn't a one to one transition happening. And so, we need an intermediary plan. Uh, But then also, as we talk bigger picture, what is God's desire for church leadership and is the system that we were under uh, the thing that God is calling us to how to lead moving forward? And so that opened the door to a lot of really good discussions about church leadership and uh, plurality of elders and pastors and and all of these good conversations. So while I was still youth pastor, I became the teaching pastor. And so I did take over kind of primary oversight of the poll on sundays and working with our teach team and planning series and developing those yeah. and just making sure that through line stayed marty then became the interim lead pastor and so he officially with the congregation and the community was established as the interim lead right and yeah. that was really clear from the beginning this isn't long term i think early on some of the congregation was like oh is, is marty now going to be expected
2: leading? it yeah yeah.
1: yeah he's been here from the beginning right he's definitely the number two trusted pastor been here and been in every other ministry capacity and is yeah. more than qualified Um and so uh we were very clear from the beginning you know marty too will be moving towards the transition someday and so this is an interim interim, interim plan mm-hmm. um and then pastor susan uh who was our executive pastor was the third person to our executive team. And so we had teaching pastor, executive pastor, and interim lead. And collectively, the three of us began to lead together and making decisions and discerning things. And 2020 required a lot of that, uh, a lot of crunchy, difficult conversations and decisions (laughs) of how are we going to do this? And Every wave of restriction and, and peace and mask and vaccine, you know everything, right? Yeah. Um, all of the pieces, and those and as, were
0: as as a small church just down the road. I just waited for you guys to make the decisions, and then I just followed. <laughs> it was it was perfect.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were looking to you too. So
0: yeah. I don't know who. Oh, that was the problem. Yeah, What we... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, was
2: What's
3: interesting during that time was yeah. that I think because of the restrictions and COVID, everything that was going on it kind of, um, I think, masked a lot of things that we were doing in the transition. That's true, yeah, uh, that sure. Shifting to an executive team, um, me being interim lead, teaching any of that kind of stuff was not as big an issue. Because in the background, it was, yeah. It was in the background because yeah. it was unprecedented what was what was happening in the foreground. Right. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> I think, you know, hindsight, mm-hmm. it was kind of, I hate to call it a blessing, but Sure. Uh, it was one of those things that, that really did, I think, help in that transition process yeah. because there was other things that we really had to focus on other than the necessarily the transition yeah. portion. Who, who has the
0: title, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. You know, It was yeah. really, yeah. But the the executive team, the setting up of the three was was done very intentionally. Yeah. Uh, and it it did, especially given the decisions we had to make and the things we had to do. Did really help because from from day one um you know i just I made it clear <laughs> that I was not a lead pastor that's just yeah. not my gift mix yeah uh, I would do it for a season to help to get us through this um but it is it is definitely a it's a gifting it's a different gift yeah. mix you know and from day one it was the conversations even prior to the handoff was you know we saw that gifting in in Bailey. Um, but it was, you know, the conversations of holding the reins and holding it back because he, you know, want to run full bore and, and like I say, had you would have there, he would probably hit some more walls, but mm-hmm. I think you still would have been successful. Sure. Uh, just would have been a few more lessons in the process. Yeah, <laughs> You know, yeah. it really is that, you know, hold, guiding the reins and, and watching it. And that's why I say we were able to do that kind of in the background of COVID, which really, yeah, I think cool. it kind of helped out a lot, actually.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I look back at those early days, 2020, and my first sermon series I ever preached was from my living room on my iPhone, Right. and uh, it was mm-hmm. the the book of Philemon, yeah. and we were trying to piece all the things together, and so, yeah, like Marty said, if that wouldn't have been online, it probably would have been felt more in our congregation, oh, we have a 22 year old mm-hmm. stepping into the pulpit <laughs> uh but there was this it was couched underneath yeah. covid and it was different all around and yeah. not only had we lost our our lead pastor founding pastor but church looks different and the yeah. church has changed yeah. so our leadership council was discerning how to move forward with transition of long-term plan for lead pastor and um as they discerned and prayed um they just felt really sure that that God was was calling me to continue in pastoral role here. Um and so it was about 10 months after Monty left, I believe, that they formally announced that I was the candidate to become the next lead pastor, uh which then kick started a process of candidating, even though right. the church knew me and I'd been right. here for so long. Um we did Q&A sessions, we did kind of all of these Strategic moments to cast some vision and, and right. uh, work with the staff team and present with the council and all of these different pieces, um, all the while still continuing this executive team model and kind of navigating mm-hmm. those things. And so it wasn't until 18 months later. So our transition these phase awesome. was about 18 months where uh, I was formally installed. There was a congregational vote. Um, and then after that, I was installed as, as the lead pastor. And how cool, not only was Marty as the interim lead pastor, the one to really pass the baton, um, but our district superintendent, mm-hmm. Monty, got right. to come back and install me as yeah. as the pastor. And so that was a special day and a special moment. Um, not only Monty and Marty, but the plethora of leaders and mentors that have poured into me over the years mm-hmm. in the broader community, yeah especially yeah. growing up here in the valley, yeah. you know, just to look around the room and see generations yeah. that had connected to my family in this church over, over generations, um, really seeing the faithfulness of God um, in, in a broad scope that he had been planting the seed and, and guiding this, even in the moments when we thought it was rudderless and we had no clue where we were going, um, that God had been faithful. <laughs> Each of the steps had gotten us exactly where we needed yeah. to be. And, um i say all that you know like marty said um the executive team model of leadership continues today and so that was a very clear heartbeat of mine that became very clear in working with marty in that trial of an executive team a plurality of yep. leaders instead of a solo lead pastor though i would have the title of lead pastor it looked like to have coequal pastors at a church um that are leading together submitting to one another um honoring a church together, making those decisions, not only is it wise because of my age and lack of experience, right? That that would be one reason why it would be wise. But even if I was 35, right? right. I believe that this is still a necessary shift for the church overall mm-hmm. moving into the next season that in order to continue to reach the next generation, church leadership has to look different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that we've seen over the last 20, 30 years is the hierarchical model of a solo exactly. lead counselor is maybe not the wisest choice and i don't don't think it's unbiblical right i think we can make that justification but how do we truly honor scripture and honor god's heart for spiritual leadership and we see mutual submission we see mutual authority Uh, there was very little solo leader stepping out and having unilateral authority on their own and so in my candidating process i got to cast that vision to our congregation to our board and lay some of those stones to the point where I said to the board, Hey, if, if, if you are on board with me leading in this way, then I, I would have to reconsider right. this call. Um, because I, I've become so convinced that this is what needs to happen, not just here at SVA, but I think the larger church is going to begin to make this shift overall, um, in the next kind of generation. So, um, so our executive team model still continues today with the plurality of executive leaders who uh, work together and it is cool to hear. Marty noticed. I have been trying to be intentional with language on Sundays, <laughs> but I'll own here, right? I'll own on this podcast, right? I have an ego, and and daily, right? Every time I get on that platform and that pulpit to speak and open God's word, yeah. it's a humble experience. Okay, Lord, what is what is your desire? What is your call? How do I surrender myself, my own ego, to? have that title and be that right. thing and right. prove to this congregation that despite my age, I can do it and be this thing. The Lord has done an intense work of of, of 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 molding my heart in uh, my ego in the midst of that. And so in terms of transition, though, as I look at Marty and I's relationship over those 18 months and even still today, I we should say, too, Marty has since retired from SVA. Um and is no longer on pastoral staff here mm. at the church. That was part of the plan. We knew that right. it was right. there would be a lead pastor, there would no longer be an interim lead pastor. Yeah. And so um it wasn't until s- seven months after yeah. I was installed that Marty officially transitioned out. Uh, but he still lives in the community, connected to the church, um, still local and is willing to take my calls.
3: Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly.
1: But I look back at season and I feel not only Marty, but the the other mentors and leaders that I was blessed with in that time. But Marty and I particularly um, had a unique relationship. Uh, He was my trusted mentor to turn to, to laugh with, to show emails, crazy emails from community members. Yeah. About masks and vaccines and policies, <laughs> and uh, we could handle those together, that I wasn't alone. Um, Marty was such a stabilizing presence in the midst of that season for me, um, where, like we've said already, if I if we didn't have that, we maybe expedited the transition a little bit faster than needed, I I I probably would have really hurt this church, and I probably would have really hurt my... Now, wife, who we were engaged during that time as yeah. well, I would have personally hurt as uh, as a man, as as yeah. a leader. I don't know if I would be where I am today if we didn't have that season <clears throat> of of journeying that together, specifically through 2020 and those hearts yeah, yeah. that were there. So, um, yeah,
0: yeah. I, that that's good. And I remember because <clears throat> I was still in the valley when you guys were transitioning with this model and and hearing some of the the ripples of. SVA is not hiring a lead pastor, right? They're trying to hire multiple people, right? Or or like no one really understood what you guys were doing. Um I I got it from the beginning. I was like it's beautiful. I love what they're doing. Um and so that I'm sure was a right a shift for the church. Um and probably still is maybe a little bit for some. And the question that they would always ask me because people would come to me like what is SVA doing? Which is just funny. Um and they <laughs> would say uh well, like okay, that's fine, but but who's really in charge, right? Like who's going to really going to make the decision at the end of the day? Um, and I'm sure you guys got asked the same question. So what, like, how was that transition with the congregation of, of leading that? And maybe how was it with you guys too? Cause it's probably a reorientation of even how you guys engage each other uh, within that.
3: Oh, I, I think it's,
0: you know, it really
3: is in, in model. The, the executive team sounds great, but and it sounds crunchy too. In the same time, right? But I think in 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 practicality, the the biggest thing was how do you enter into that relationship with the three of us, with Bailey, Susan, and I. And you're right; there does have to be someone has to have that final word, right? Um, and I think one of the important things in that 18 months that we worked together was, um, when would I essentially take that final word versus somewhere, someone else, mm-hmm. knowing that I was going to be gone in seven months right. from the time of the transition, because there were some hard decisions that had to be made. Right, uh, And those decisions were made based on Bailey, essentially. <laughs> I'll put the weight on Bailey. But it was based right. on if this is the model that we're going with, and this is where we're going, and this is who God's called to lead this church, then things have to be... Set up, and I, I felt my job as interim was to get those things in place and set up yeah. to where Bailey could succeed is best. And this, I don't. This is going to sound very ego driven, but the whole thing—it's kind of one of those things. Do as I say, not as I do, because <laughs> there was a lot of things that right. you know I probably did wrong. Mm. I think in in leading in that transition, one of those things is uh, I felt it was a lot like parenting. Where I could have been the helicopter parent right, and told Bailey, no, you do this. This is how you do that. No, don't do it that way. Da, right. da, da. Versus the way I chose to do it was sit back and go, okay, in this decision, Bailey wants to go this way. Is this going to be harmful to him mm-hmm. or harmful to the church, even though I may not agree with it? Maybe this is a bump in the road that he needs to feel a little bit or whatever. You know, those kinds of things like you do, again, same with parenting. Right. Or, right. you know, they allow your kids to feel certain things. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to harm right. them. But hopefully they feel those things. And so it was slowly letting Bailey feel some of those leadership uh, choices and yeah. transition so that he could begin to understand what that felt like. And then those that I think were not good for him to experience at that point, you know being in ministry for thirty plus years, that's like, all right, let's put that one on me and so you really the the team and I think moving forward, it really is a great model in that you really protect the leadership role, the leadership team um and you you weigh it out across these three individuals to be able to go who's best gifted who is best, best situated in a position to make this call? Mm. Uh, and not necessarily, the call is made based on the three of you, but to essentially move the call forward.
2: Right, right.
3: Where in the traditional sense, it would always be the lead pastor moving that call. The buck has to stop somewhere. Right. You know, that's kind of that right. whole thing that it was modeled after. All right, the lead guy, I'll take this one. Yep. But when you when you balance that out between within an executive team and and. Again, this was a new model that we were trying. We had those conversations. Susan, why don't you do this one? You know, Bailey, you got this one. I got this one in those, in showing leadership and even to the yeah. point of who set it up front.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, people
3: in the congregation, whoever's up front, that's who they're going to look at and that's yeah. who they're going to look to. And that's who they trust. And oh, it came from him. That's who made the decision. Yeah. That's just the way our mind, you know, so we were very, um, purposeful on who we even put up front to say certain things and to do certain things so that the church could see that it just wasn't one individual, that we were doing this new model of executive team. And this is, this is how it functions. And this yeah. is how it works. Yeah. So it really, in that 18 months, it really was a good, um, it was a good time to be able to model that and show that, in lots of different ways. Like I say, right. verbally, um, up front, you know, visually everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would add to that and just say, um, you know, you asked about, I would imagine that's an uphill battle. And do you get the question and you got the question on our behalf And yeah. I think the whole community was confused and asking that question. And I would say, you know, even a year plus after that lead right. transition, people are still asking that question. Yeah, I'm sure. And I think, I don't expect that to end or really change because it takes a long time to change a system. Right. And that's what we're doing here. Right. We took the system of a solo lead pastor kind of hierarchical model and are moving forward with a a different system of co-equal leaders. And, you know, if you put our staffing org charts next to each other, you'd see it right on paper, but practically how does that work? Right. How can you do that? And I always tell people, I'd I'd never claim that it's easier. There are days where I wish, man. (laughs) I am the solo lead pastor. Let me just make this in. my
0: finger, it's done, yeah. Yeah.
3: So much easier. It
1: it is definitely not easier, but I do believe it is better. And I believe that it's more honoring to God and more honoring to this congregation. And yes, some decisions might slow down just a touch, but I think on the other end of them, they're stronger. They're stronger decision and they're healthier. And that we as leaders are healthier. And that was one of my biggest things, especially as a a new husband and a a soon-to-be father. We have a little one on the way, thinking about family and life and hearing of pastors from the last couple generations. And even my generation, nobody's perfect. And there isn't a perfect congregation or way to do it. But story after story of families broken, families blown apart, pastoral families and and churches then affected by it. Is that the witness, right? Is that Jesus's desire for his church and for his leaders and in their health as as leaders. And and, and I think that there's something better. I think that we can have a better system for that to protect our leaders, to support them. And so there was, in a way, I used to say it was selfish that I was saying this because I want to have some checks and balances over me in this role where I'm not able to be that solo guy, because I know it'll end up killing me. It'll end right. up killing my wife. It'll right. kill my family. And so that there was a, a a firm check and balance in place. He uh, said, you know, that's not selfish. It's self-care. And that's a good and holy yeah, and good. beautiful world. And um, I've experienced that, that fruition, that there is, you know, yes, of course, right? There is is weight, uh, no matter what, that comes with any sort of spiritual leadership and church leadership. Um, But knowing that I'm not alone, especially at at this season and this time with Mm. some of the conversations that we're having culturally and where our church is at, where the church is at, um, I think we need to continue to seek out plurality areas that we can um, minimize that hierarchy and elevate voices um, into the spaces and places that God is calling them. And um, our congregation is catching that vision, right? And I think even in simple ways, like, the use of language, right? Yeah. I become more convinced. What are we saying? Right? How am I speaking? How am I referencing other pastors? How am I not the only one uh publicizing decisions and sharing these things? Yeah. But when are others sharing them? And um it comes with a constant ego check and a constant laying down of agenda and my own ability because like I said, I, I want to be that guy. Of course. My flesh says, <laughs> you are the number one. Go so, for it, you know? Right. Uh, and you are you are who this church voted on right you are you were called to this position and so there's even that spiritual impetus put on top of this call of like yeah i was god's appointed person for this time and this season um but to look at the others who are just as called and just as gifted and just as passionate um to allow spaces and ways for them to step into those areas of leadership is is good and yeah. um
0: yeah. That's good. And, and yeah, I like what you said there of, of, I think when we start to think through what this actually looks like to live out of, right, maybe, you know, people who are listening, they're, they're like, I am a solo pastor, but what does that even look like? Or what does that even mean? It's, it's not this like, oh, you'll just happen to fall into it one day. And, and I'm will come into your church and be able to help speak into your life. But it's an intentional stepping back I'm not saying, well, it's someone else's job, you know, like just totally hands off, but allowing space and looking for that and inviting people into that is part of that process, right? It only works because you guys submit to one another, right? It's that mutual submission. I mean, that almost sounds biblical um, of <laughs> working together in a, yeah, um, which is which is cool and, and beautiful. And, and, and one of the things I love, I, you know, I, I was excited to have you guys on to talk about this is when we think about mentorship and and roles and what this looks like, most pastors were like, okay, who's the other pastor somewhere else I can call or or look for or whatever it is, rather than who's maybe someone on my leadership team, right, that I can that we can be this for each other, right? That we can share the load. We can do things in this sort of way that it's not me as the lead pastor and I've got my children's pastor and my executive pastor. And right, again, all these defined roles. Rather to just say, look, we're all pastors at SVA, right? We're all pastors here. who have giftings and talents, um, and that's that's cool, right? That's a a cool step. So as as you think through, maybe what what maybe what advice you would share with with other pastors of how to maybe take some steps into mutual submission to other leaders or creating space um, of of maybe moving forward in this way. What what might you give, Marty? We'll start with you.
3: You know, I think, uh, I think the biggest thing is, you know, as you move forward in ministry, hopefully, and you get to my age and, you know, like you said, some of the, in the Nazarene church there, you have the pastors that are what you saw the model of just getting They're just getting older, not replacing. When you get older, the hope is, is that you, you do gain more wisdom and understanding. And, and uh, you know, I think for me around, 40, 41, around that age, I kind of started that self-awareness of, okay, this is who I am, this is who God's created me to be. And, you know, previous to that was trying to a lot of times be something I wasn't and yeah. make people happy because of the, all those kinds of things. And when you when you settle into ministry, I think that it's beginning to have that confidence of, okay, God, this is what this is who I am, this is who you created me to be, and this is where I'm at. Um, once you settle into that. I think then it's it's a lot easier then to hand things off because you recognize that you're not everything yeah. and and you can't, you can't offer everything, and the next generation coming up is probably not going to do it like I do, right uh, they're probably not going to say it like I do, and yet I think our job as older pastors is to set that aside and allow the church in the next generation to take over and, and maybe say it differently, maybe do it differently. Um, it looks different, all those kinds of things. But we have to, you know, one of my favorite verses, James, you know, humble yourselves, you know, yeah. is because that's what we're called to do is, is set ourselves aside and allow them to do what they do. and And in that, watch them fail but be there for them. And that was, you know, after Bailey took over, I was here for another seven months or so, right around there, um, just kind of in the background and um, just making sure that we're, you know, transition was going good and everything else. And it was great, but it's, it's not, it's not allowing them to fail big, but allowing them to feel some things. Good, yeah, And, you know, that's the, but the hardest part is I think in that parenting term is, Especially, other, I think one of the benefits I had was that I was never a lead pastor. <laughs> so I didn't have that. Well, you have to do it this way because yeah. I did it this way. Right. I didn't have those things. But I, I think the temptation would be to be that helicopter parent yep. where you want to emulate what you've done and you want to share what worked for you and share what didn't work for you. But even those things may not apply yeah. in this next season, in this next generation. So, how do you gracefully sit back? and input and make some decisions that need to be made yet allow them to flourish and grow. In fact, when I showed up here today uh, at the church here to do the podcast, they were like, Hey, I thought you were going to serve in the nursery after you retired because the church is just blown up with young families in this new generation that's coming in that would not be here, they weren't here when it was older staff. Before,
0: right. Yeah.
3: they weren't here before. And so it is crucial for the church to be able to hand off gracefully um, in order for the church to continue to grow and expand and reach this next, next generation. We have to recognize that my generation, we have something to offer, you know, and you, you can't you can't, throw, you can't throw us out, you can't yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater,
2: mm-hmm. but, right.
3: um, you know, we have something to offer, but we don't have to run everything. We don't have to run the church. We don't have to do that. Let's hand that off gracefully and watch this next generation flourish and succeed. And that, for me, um, in the transition, that was probably one of the most easy things and borderline, for me, prideful things, was how well the handoff went. To watch Bailey succeed now and the church succeed, the the pride side of me and that ego side of me goes, well, yeah. oh, that's just the transition we did, you know. Right. And you want to go there, but... You know, it, it is that ability to watch and hand off and and not have so much hands on. You yeah. know, and I think that's something that. But again, I think that really depends upon what type of pasture you're handing off to. Handing off to someone that I knew could do it, that was eager to do it, that I knew was gifted to do it, um, was pretty easy. You know, so yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's good. No, oh, that's good. Yeah, Bailey, when you think about what you give to younger pastors in your situation or whatever it is, what, what might you say?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, I think it is a, a mirroring of what Marty just said of the humility on, on that side of things, humility on on the yeah. the side receiving the baton. <laughs> um and I think over the last three years of transition here at SVA, God has done a major work and in, in my heart and revealing the necessity of of humility within his leaders yeah and i think early on in that phase of time where i thought i was so gung-ho and ready and i could take this on and um there were some breaks that were pumped and said hold on we're gonna take a deep breath and really discern this It was in that space and the willingness to submit to that and say, okay, yeah, let's do this. And I'm going to trust in the wisdom of the leaders that have come before me that this is a a good direction to take. It was in that time that I became so convinced and, you know, it's a theology 101, doctrine 101, Christ is head of the church, right? That no other name uh, should be at the the pinnacle or the doorpost of, of this church, this congregation that um, any one of our staff members, pastors, leaders, their name, right, should not, if it's removed from the system, everything shouldn't crumble. And so that then forces you as a leader to say, okay, what system am I perpetuating? Um, And for me, early in my ministry, I was so honored that that I got to have some of these lessons early on um, to say, yeah, it isn't my name. It isn't Bailey's face. My heart god had to root out that when the broader community looks at sva church i don't want them to see bailey i don't want them to see marty i don't want them to see any face or any name but the name of jesus Mm -hmm. and how can we create a system that raises that banner and not my own banner not my own agenda because it's there still i got my banners i got my things i got my agendas that i'm passionate (laughs) about for sure um Mm -hmm. but when it comes to spiritual leadership and the shepherding of god's flock. I was, it was impressed upon me, the great weightiness of that, that truly this is the Lord's church, and I am called for a season to steward it, and to steward it well, and that requires humility, that requires submission, that requires the elevation of voices, um, that requires demonstrating the type of leadership that we don't see elsewhere in the world, in politics, and communities, Mm -hmm. and businesses, and uh, may the church look different, because it's supposed to look different. It's the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, so that's my encouragement to younger pastors
0: that's good and 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 often that that's the exact advice that's been shared right as we've been talking with some of these pastor and mentors of of asking those things, and um you know I think through some of the conversations I've had with other younger pastors, and it often it feels like and I've been there of like we're just folding our arms and just saying, Well, no one's giving me a chance and um and we don't realize that it's us right that's keeping us. From having those conversations because we're just so frustrated about what they're doing, um, rather than being able to humble ourselves. Um, and like you said, it, it goes both ways. Of, of when we both can humble ourselves and see Christ is Christ is the lead pastor and <laughs> He's the head of the church, and we just need to yeah. submit and submit to one another and submit to Him. Um, powerful things happen. Um, powerful things happen. So it's good. Any last thoughts that you want to share?
1: no well i don't think we shared but uh marty's wife nan uh was in the delivery room when i was born
0: oh yeah that's right yeah yeah
3: (laughs) far we go back
1: that's how far we go back so
0: and i love that i love that i don't know why we
3: shared that but that's good yeah Yeah, Yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah and it's yeah and you guys are such a good example of of that generational mentorship right it's it's not just that Marty got this great idea that, oh, we should maybe invest in a young person, but it's because he was invested in, and probably because that pastor was invested in by someone else, and, and that, right, disciples making disciples making disciples um, is, is is wonderful. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time to share with us your journey and, um, and kind of the, the cool things that are happening in, in Fall City and the Snoqualmie Valley and, um, and, and at SVA um i encourage people to go check out snow calling valley alliance i think it's what sva.church is that your website I sva church.org oh, church. yeah, church. yeah you can you can find bailey and maybe in the archives find marty somewhere uh, but, uh <laughs> get to see their model they're they're actually really cool church facility um and some of the really cool things they're doing for their community and um and other churches in the area and and so much more. But well, thank you for joining us for the Millennial Pastor Podcast. As we've been talking about the intersection of faith and culture, be sure to like and subscribe. Josiah's been uh, sending smoke signals for me to to let you know. So so keep keep on that. Do it. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation, and have a good rest of your day. We'll see you guys.
2: Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hey there, my name is
0: Caleb Cray Haines, and I'm the author of the new book, Garbage Theology, The Unseen World of Waste and What It Means for the Salvation of Every Person, Every Place and Everything. In a time when the church has been far too silent on the environmental crisis facing us all. How might we have a better grasp on what the Bible says, what the science says, and how to engage in this very Christian calling to serve and keep creation? Woven through my story of working bivocationally as a pastor and a trash hauler, Garbage Theology seeks to tackle these large questions by taking a close look at what nobody wants to see
2: our waste. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The millennial pastor podcast was created and produced by byron certain and josiah jones this season's guest host is jonathan wren original music by andrew jones this podcast is part of the millennial pastor podcasting network for more podcasts like it please visit themillennialpastor.com thank you so much for listening and please consider rating, reviewing, or subscribing so both you and other fans of Millennial Pastors can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.